Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Prey on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a kid that's found his dad's gun. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc is now in the possession of the Army. Too many others know what's happening out there, and no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man. That state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. About time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert, I'm your host, Ryan Gable. And you are tuned into the Secret Teachings Radio, airing Monday through Friday, five nights a week, 10 p.m. to midnight Pacific, right after Clyde Lewis and Ground Zero on GroundZero.radio and the Aftermath FM's uh, soon-to-be Ground Zero app that is free to download. 
If you'd like to contact me directly, if you'd like to contact the show, I don't have an assistant or a secretary or a producer. You'll contact me directly at rdgable at yahoo.com. I might be getting a new email soon, or at least a secondary email for listeners to message me and for guests because my Yahoo account is so old and people tend to laugh at me for having this old account. Artie Gable at yahoo.com though. That is the best way to get a hold of us. TST underscore underscore radio on Twitter. And of course, facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings. We've been shadow banned. I've lost my Twitter account before we've been kicked off of platforms. If you find us on Apple, we're building back up our commentary section and uh, the stars that we had uh, all these five star reviews and all that got removed. And so, you know, some of it's technical issues, some of it's probably intentional, some of it's probably algorithm, but uh, those are the simple ways to find us, the email, the Twitter, the Facebook. And of course, you can always uh, stay tuned to the secret teachings by looking at the show in a radio or podcast player. Just search the show name and it'll come up. You'll be able to listen for free. There are monetized ads, of course. So if you want the ad-free version of the show, you know where to go. Just go to the website, thesecretteachings.info, and subscribe today. You get access to the shows, the montages, my digital books, and a private RSS feed. It's $50 for the whole year. I know a lot of people have canceled their PayPal accounts recently, and uh, I understand that. I respect that. PayPal was the only option that I have because I do it friends and family, uh, which is one of the ways, well, I won't talk about the details of that, but... Uh, we, I, do, I do that on PayPal. We do have Cash App, finally. Um, I'm not a very technical person. I don't like using all these platforms, but I do have Cash App. I think the name is uh, the money sign, the dollar sign, uh, R.D. Gable. So if that's, how you, if that's what you want to do, you want to use Cash App instead, it is the money sign, R-D-G-A-B-L-E. If you missed any of our shows last week, they are, again, free in the archive on the website or any player, and, of course... This show tonight will be available tomorrow morning. Tonight on the broadcast, Charlie Robinson joins us from Macroaggressions. If you don't know who Charlie Robinson is, you should definitely get over to Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen to radio and podcasts and check out Macroaggressions. It's spelled one word, M-A-C-R-O, aggressions, macroaggressions, you know, like the microaggressions. We don't hear that word a lot anymore, but macroaggressions. I always like the name of Charlie's show. Charlie's going to be joining us here in just a second. And uh, Charlie is a very well-rounded, balanced individual. I've known Charlie for a while. I've listened to a lot of his shows. He's been on The Secret Teachings before. And one of the things I wanted to talk to Charlie about, and um, well, we, we discussed it slightly on Friday. Uh, I want to go into more detail about it, more, more specificity, uh, at least to start the show tonight is that, you know, Charlie, it sounds like, it feels like, whether you're in the mainstream media, the alternative media, the independent media, you do a podcast, a radio show, whatever your affiliation is, politically, religious, whatever, it seems like there is a pendulum that swings where there are certain things that even though they're oppositional, as long as you believe in one of the two, sometimes three oppositional things, you have an identity. You have a crowd that you fit into. There's a group that you fit into. You, there's a collective you fit into. But if you want to step outside of one or two or three of these identities, suddenly, even if you're trying to be objective, you don't fit into any identity. And you find yourself segregated, you find yourself marginalized, and you find yourself with very little friends or support. 
Now, I'm not saying that that's me or that's anybody else I know. I'm just saying that when you take a, a, a stance outside of one of those paradigms, outside of one of those uh, viewpoints, you know, it, it becomes difficult to really obtain an audience because it, it feels like so many of us, whether we're right, we're left, we're up, we're down, we're pro or anti this or that, or we want to try to discuss the subject in more detail. As long as you have one of those identities that are acceptable by some collective group, it seems like it's okay. But if you don't, again, you're segregated and marginalized. In my view, Charlie Robinson, welcome to the show. Your thoughts, please. Well, thanks for having me. It's always uh, fun to chit chat with you about oh, it is. <laughs> the insanity of the world. And look, I agree. It'd be a whole lot easier if, um, if I was on the red team or if I was on the blue team, you know, if I, if I'd have a built-in audience, they'd be nodding uh, along with me in agreement and my numbers would be through the roof and everything would be fine. And, and, uh, you know, but I just, uh, I'm not on those teams. Uh, I don't want to be. I see things differently. You see things differently. We're not, well, I'm not trying to uh, wave my flag. I'm just trying to, you know, report what I see as somebody, as a writer, I've written three books. Um, I try to be as objective as I can. And sometimes when you're objective, you have to cut, well, you have to call out the people that are, that you see as, um, as falling into these traps. And that doesn't make you a lot of friends. And it uh, alienates a large segment of the audience that's out there because they're not really interested in hearing somebody that disagrees with them. So we in the alternative media, it, we, you know, we're, we're obviously not the mainstream. So that right in and, in and of itself, we, um, you know, we're, we're out of the where the major audience is. But even within our alternative media world, you know, there's segments inside of that. So, and the more we do that, the more we segment ourselves, the the smaller the audience is and the, the easier it is for them to put us into these uh, audio cul-de-sacs where nobody really hears us, nobody discovers us. We're sort of talking to a, a much smaller group. And, and if you're trying to get the message out, if you think you have something important to say, then you want to be in front of the biggest audience that you can uh, not for ego purposes, but just because your message needs to be heard and you want the, you know, you want as many people to hear you as possible. But these days, I think we've, we've all sort of, we're all a little bit guilty of this. Like we, I, I know, I, I know I am for sure that there's just some messages out there. I'm just unwilling to listen to. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not interested in hearing what they have to say anymore. And, and maybe in the past I would have said, well, I'll give it a listen or maybe I'll, I'll try to see things from their their point of view and see what they see what they think. But, but there's been so much, um, I don't know, the, the fighting's been so bitter. It's, it's so, so much intolerance that I'm, I'm to a point where, you know, there's a large segment of the audience out there that I'm not, I'm not looking for. I'm not trying to reach them. I feel like they are in their own, they're on their own teams there. They've picked their sides. Um, I don't, I'm not interested in arguing with people about things. I, if you're, if you're curious about, the way the world works, you think I, I can explain it in a simple way that makes a little bit of sense. I invite people to come over and, and check out my show, Macroaggressions, because I think uh, we're talking about some important things. But, but again, I fully recognize that I'm not going to, I'm not going to appeal to everybody. Uh, I, I, did a, I went on a, a show that was heavily right-leaning, you know, very conservative, kind of, um, you know, they, they see what's going on in the world, but they're also 
you know, Trump's our guy. And I was pitching my third, my last book, Hypocrisy, and, um, and, and sold a lot of books to that audience because we opened up some, you know, a promo and, and I could tell it was that audience that was yeah, buying and you it. Have, you have similarities with them, I'd imagine, you know, just. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and I got it. I got an email from one guy who clearly read the book and got to the part where I was, was not, uh, nice to Trump. And I got an email from him. He called me every name in the book and I say, hey, listen, man, you know, I replied back, listen, I have to take shots at both sides. You know, I, I can't just play team sports here. I can't just say our team is fine. We do everything right. The other side, they're, they're the only crazy ones out here. If I'm going to be intellectually honest about this, I need to call out your guy too. You're, you're, you're Trump guy. And, and look, if you don't want to see it, maybe you're not ready to see it, but, uh, but I'm not going to pretend like this is just like only happen. You know, the insanity is only on, on one one end of the court here because it, there's enough of it to go around. So, so sometimes you, you know, you, you, you don't make people happy when you tell them that their, that their guy is no good. And, and of course you have to show them the, the evidence too. You can't just say it, but, but I think you and I both do a pretty good job of, of, of coming from a place of sanity and rationality. And we say, well, this is what we see and we could be wrong, but this is how we see it based on what we know about the way things work. And, Hey, this looks kind of weird to us. What do you, the audience think? Do you see the same thing too? Yeah, I see it. I see it. Okay, great. You know? Um, so I don't need everybody to agree with me on everything I say. I welcome people that, that challenge my, you know, the, the way I see the world. That's fine. Cause I'll always be changing. You know, I mean, the way I see things will change and evolve. And if I've got something wrong, I want to be told, Hey, you're wrong on this. Here's why it's wrong. And if I'm wrong, then I'll, I'll uh, adjust accordingly. So, I'm open to it. I want to, uh, uh, I just want to know the truth. I just want to know how it all works, you know? And, and I, it, it, you have so that, you have because that, of that, I can't pick a team, you know, you have that drive. Like I do a lot, like a lot of our audience for macro aggressions and the secret teachings does. We have a drive just to learn. I, I just, exactly. I want to understand things. I want to, you know, it just because you said something in your book that somebody who supported Trump didn't like, that doesn't mean that you say that you're pro Joe Biden or pro Hillary Clinton. That's what a lot of people think. Right. You attack their guy. You must be for the other guy. And that's the, right. that tribalist polar mindset that we have to eliminate. We have to get out of that mindset in order to really understand what's happening around us with any given situation. I mean, we there's so many examples of this. I, I could just rattle off a few to you, Charlie. For example, um. Uh, during the you know, during the 2016 election, I, I looked at the field of candidates. Personally, I didn't really like anybody. I did, however, like a little bit of what Tulsi Gabbard said. And recently I had somebody bring this up to me and they said, well, you know, Tulsi Gabbard, she is she's listed as a young leader with the World Economic Forum. And I said, yeah, yeah, I, I learned that like last year. I learned about that. And I thought, well, that's kind of suspicious. But then I also thought, well, just because someone is listed on a website doesn't mean that they're necessarily uh, believing in that ideology. You can be invited to an event doesn't mean that you believe in that event. A lot of independents are going to liberal events and conservative events, etc. It doesn't make them a liberal or a conservative. Uh, and that's not defending Tulsi Gabbard. I'm just saying that, you know, we have to look at situations objectively. What does that woman actually say? What does she actually do? Well, it's totally different what she says and does as opposed to what Trudeau's doing as a young global leader up in Canada, totally different than what someone like Joe Biden with his Build Back Better plan is doing. Uh, I don't know if that's controlled opposition or what. I just like to look at all the angles of it. Uh, another good example, and I, and I think I want to talk to you a little bit about this, very controversial. 
uh, the subject of abortion. Charlie seems to be the biggest subject that anybody cares about, especially on the left. Roe Vember is coming. Just vote Democrat. We'll codify Roe versus Wade, which they should have done during the Obama administration. They had control uh, the House and Senate, uh, but they didn't. And now it's a political issue because the Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade. So I've said to people here in the state of Arizona, why do you think you can't get an abortion in Arizona? Because the state has an old law from 100 years ago that says you can't have an abortion. I said, okay, um, is that the law right now? Yes. Okay, well, then you go to the news, you go to the courts, and the courts say, well, they're they're not really sure if the law is that or if the law, what they're going to enforce is the 15-week abortion ban. And they say, well, the 15-week abortion ban doesn't allow for incest or rape. But it actually does within 15 weeks. It's an arbitrary cutoff, but it's based on this Mississippi court case that went to the Supreme Court. Are you pro-abortion, anti-abortion? I'm neither. I'm a circumstantialist. And these are the kinds of things that we have. This is what a real debate is, Charlie. A debate doesn't mean we argue and try to win no matter what. A debate means we discuss things and we come to a more rational conclusion. We learn something, hopefully, from the other person. And at the end we hopefully have a better solution to the problems that we started to discuss in the first place. And I want to do that with everything. I think that's what you're saying. I hope that's, that, that's, what, that's what you're trying to do as well. It's what I'm trying to do. I reserve the right to change my mind about how I feel on a certain thing if I'm presented with new evidence that is better than the old evidence that I have. Well I have to do that. I have to keep that flexibility because I don't want to get myself into some sort of ideological foxhole where I can't get out of it. And, um, and I'm being irrational and I'm, I'm dismissing new evidence that maybe contradicts what I, or, you know, Hey, I didn't know about X, Y, and Z. I didn't know about that. I used to feel this way because I didn't know about this other information. Now I've been presented with this information. It's better than what I had. Um, and now because of that, I, I want to change, you know, I want to change the way I feel. I think that the listeners will give you the flexibility to do that as long as they believe that you are coming from the right place, that you're not just changing your mind in order to fit in with the prevailing tides or opinions that are popular right right now. Clearly, we don't care about that. We we talk about things that are are deeply unpopular mainstream. But so so we're not we're not changing our minds to fit in clearly. But but I, I always want to allow myself that flexibility And because in the end, I just want to get it right. I don't necessarily have to be right. As long as I get that information right in the end, that's what matters. And if I make a mistake and I get things wrong and I do and I will, then the audience will allow me a little bit of flexibility there because they at least know that I'm on, I'm, I'm trying to get it right. Yes. And I don't think they expect perfection. Um, but as long as they know that you're, 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 you're headed, you're, you're doing it. You're coming from the right place. You're, um, you're not trying to manipulate them into feeling one way just because of some sort of agenda that you're not talking about. I'm, I may be too open about things, but, uh, but I, you know, I'd rather be too open than, than secretive about things. And, and I, you know, and I've got books out. So, and, and I know, you know, you, as, as authors, we, we, you write this, you put it out into the world and then it's a permanent record. You can't, you don't get, you know, the luxury of going in and changing it. Oh, well, yes. Maybe yes. You do additional additions or something like that, but, but you know, it's out there forever. So you, they can hold you to that. So if they're going to hold me to my words, 
which I fully expect them to do, then in the future, I need to be able to be flexible and say, hey, you know, in the past, I believe this because I felt this way based on the information I had. But, you know, the more I research, the more I talk to different people, the more I get uh, alternative points of view, I'm, I'm, it's a constantly changing process. And um, I think that that's probably a good thing. Whenever we get a little too solid in our beliefs, uh, then, we're, you know, we're, we're just sort of inflexible to accepting new ideas. And I think that that in the end is probably uh, dangerous. No, it's very dangerous because when we get into those mindsets, when we get into these collectivized ideologies, we move with the herd. There's no more independent thought. It's whatever the group does, whatever the color of the tie does, whatever the, uh, the donkey or the elephant does. And that's a, that is a very, very dangerous thing. So like for the subject of abortion, the question is always, are you pro or anti? And it's like, you know, pro-choice, are you, you pro-abortion, anti-abortion? Like, it's just like with vaccines, you pro-vaccine, you anti-vaccine. Everything's reduced to that. Are you, you for it or are you against it? And both sides have their moral high ground that they stand on. You know, the right, just because they believe it's right to not have any abortion on the most extreme. There's never, no, never an abortion under any circumstances, no matter what happens which I find that to be crazy in the same way that I find some of the politics here in Arizona that the Democratic Party is promoting, which is you can have an abortion after the baby is born, which sounds like murder to me. I don't get how a virus is not alive. It's a, a particle that supposedly causes disease and we have to shut society down for it, but it can change your life. Yet uh, a clump of cells that develop into a fully grown uh, baby and is about ready to be born, is not alive, and we can kill it and call that abortion. I find that to be crazy. I, I find relevancy and logic to be somewhere in the middle, but I think the issue here is whether it's mainstream or alternative, medicine, uh, alternative media, uh, mainstream or alternative medicine, it all seems to follow the same track. Again, as long as you take a stance of being pro or anti something, you've got a team to identify with. But if you don't take that stance and you don't have a team, both teams or three or four teams think that you're on the other side and then everybody comes after you. And that, I think, is evidence when that happens, you're actually thinking for yourself when the group collectives start to attack you and start to come after you. That's dangerous. That's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. The herd, the herd is a dangerous animal. You know, <laughs> they, they, and, and it's what's like a interesting stampede. about it's a stampede. Yeah. The, st the stampede and you, you, we, we've been able to watch this in, in real time with, with what we've gone through over the last uh, two years with the, the virus situation. You, 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 you learn a little bit about human psychology, about how the herd moves and how they view anybody that leaves the herd. You know, they don't view you as, you know, bon voyage, have a great trip. You know, they say, no, no, you're opening us up to, to attack you're leaving the herd. There's one less of us it's vulnerable. To, uh, to, to, yeah, you're leaving, you're leaving us vulnerable. And, and so, if, so because you're leaving, you're now our enemy. And, and this, this mentality that, that, uh, people can't seem to, to, to understand is that, you know, look, we don't have, we don't necessarily have to run in a herd. We're allowed to have um, there's nuance here, but, but again, that doesn't play well in the nightly news. And, and if you've met some of the people, you know, the NPCs out there, they don't, they don't handle that well. They're not very, you know, receptive to, well, let's have the debate. You know, like you said, are you pro or anti uh, abortion? You're like, well, I'm a 
you know, I, it depends on the situation. Let's talk. That's not going to work for them. That that is a seen as a threat. You either have to be on this team or you're the enemy. And that that way of thinking is is obviously dangerous. It's it's uh, it also shows that you know people are unwilling or unable to invest the time to really think about these things. It's easy to just say, you know, what's your opinion? Yes or no? You know, give me a quick answer. Well, you know, look, the topics we cover they're rarely yes or no. It, there's a lot more of a backstory, which there's is also there's, I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's also the very foundation of democracy in a constitutional republic is discussing and debating things and finding what's best uh, in some cases for this group of people and other cases for this group of people. And nobody's ever going to be always happy that there's always going to be compromise that that's what real debating. That's what real quote democracy is really supposed to be about. Well, that debating is seen as a threat now to people because now you're challenging their beliefs. Yes, and the that's thing what is, it is. That if, if I have beliefs that are built on a rock solid foundation, then go ahead and challenge them. I have no worries. I'm, I'm they're, they're built on logic and reason and sound fundamentals, and they don't require a massive defense. So if you want to challenge my beliefs, that is fine. Now, the problem is some of these, these beliefs that people have out there they're flimsy. They're not well built. They're, they're based, they're built on a foundation of lies or, you know, dogma or something like that. So they can't afford to have the debate because the debate will expose that their, that their whole thesis is built on um, maybe quicksand. And that's, and that's probably why a lot of Democrats and even some Republicans, not as many, but a lot of them are not even debating this midterm season. Well, you're in you're in Arizona, and you're watching this right now with uh, Katie Hobbs and and Carrie Lake, where where Hobbs refuses to debate. Well, of course she, I, of course she's going to refuse to debate because her her positions on things are insane, and to get them talking about them and defending them is probably the best thing you can do if you want to expose the insanity. Is to get them to you know come right out here and debate, defend post birth abortions. Please, <laughs> I'm with you. That's murder to me. You know, if you're aborting somebody in their 480th trimester, I mean, this is murder. <laughs> that's just, yeah, that's just that's just murder across the board. Exactly. So Charlie Robinson, we got to take a break. Charlie Robinson, Macroaggressions. What are the books real quick? The Octopus of Global Control is the first book. The Controlled Demolition of the American Empire, which was the number one bestseller I wrote with Jeff Berwick. And the last, la, uh, latest one is Hypocrisy, Surviving in a World of Cultural Double Standards. They're all available on Amazon or at my website, theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com. Octopusofglobalcontrol.com. I'm Ryan Gable, Charlie Robinson with us. There's a lot more after this. The conversation continues in the next segment. Gable at yahoo.com if you'd like to contact us. Thesecretteachings.info is the website. More with Charlie after this. The Secret Teachings radio show is on Facebook and Twitter. Just search facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings to like us and TST underscore underscore radio to tweet with us. I hope that you'll check out my new book, Liberty Shrugged. I wrote Liberty Shrugged to provide historical context and to dispel many of the myths that we learn about in American history. Inside the nearly 700-page book, you'll learn about meritocracy, the differences between civil liberties and civil rights, and how Western civilization didn't start slavery, 
but ended it as an institution that had existed for thousands of years. How many of the founding fathers did indeed own slaves, but what was peculiar about this was that these men would fight to end the institution for a variety of reasons. We look at the real causes of the American Revolution and the American Civil War. We prove without a doubt that slavery was in no way, shape, or form the cause of current socioeconomic issues which affect all people regardless of their color. In other words, this book dispels countless divisive social, cultural, and historical myths in an attempt to objectively find humble gratefulness in the American experience. Get your copy of Liberty Shrugged at thesecretteachings.info in softcover or digital. This is David Icke from davidike.com, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. From Ground Zero to The Secret Teachings, keep your dial tuned to Ground Zero Radio. Want to hear more of The Secret Teachings radio show? Search for the show on any radio or podcast player, or find links and a free archive at thesecretteachings.info. If you want to get rid of those annoying ads and get extra perks like access to the montage archive, digital copies of Ryan's books, and early access to the show, then subscribe to the full show archive at thesecretteachings.info. Visit the website and click the button that says subscribe. You can do so monthly, yearly, or through a one-time donation. Your support always keeps the secret teachings on the air. If you enjoy the secret teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. This is one of the best discussions I've been on in a long time. You guys are right on it. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is the frequency of The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Charlie Robinson... My friend is our guest this evening from Macro Aggressions. He's also written a couple of books. He gave you the names before the break there. Tonight's show is really focused on attempting to find consistency and also addressing the inconsistency and the hypocrisy in particularly zealous belief systems. And they could revolve around politics or religion or something like that. But you know, nowadays... Everything is politically polarized, not just polarized, politically polarized. You know, it's like if you support a certain political candidate, not only does that make you because of their political affiliation or identification or because of someone who supported them or someone that showed up at one of their rallies, it makes you all kinds of things. I mean, you could be called a racist. You could be called a Nazi. You could be called a, uh, you know, uh, you know, a supporter of rape and incest because you, you, you think that women should be able to get an abortion when there's rape or incest. And you can be called all kinds of names, but you know, it's not just one direction. It, it goes the other way too. people on the other side of the political spectrum tend to do the exact same thing. They just don't have control of the media in the same way that the left does. So you don't hear as much about it, but I'm an example of that. Uh, Gab will not let me post on their platform now because I guess the show promos I was posting Gab didn't like, 
Uh, you get people like uh, I talked a few minutes about it on Friday's show. People like the adult film star Brandy Love. That's her 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 name anyway. Her acting name. Uh, she was kicked out of a Turning Point action event because uh, well, she's been in the porn industry. I mean, it's not like she showed up in lingerie. She showed up like a businesswoman dressed up. She agrees with the conservative uh, politic or body politic. She's pretty balanced in her views, and they kicked her out. I didn't even know about that. I didn't even know much about her until I read that story, and I thought, well, that seems to be exactly what the left does. We have a very similar thing going on here, and I don't think it has anything to do with politics. It has a lot more to do with psychology and a lot more to do with ego and a lot more to do uh, with uh, narcissistic personality disorders of people on both the left and the right, people that are outside the political spectrum uh, that tend to be inconsistent in their views and beliefs and tend to be hypocrites in their views and beliefs. Again, Charlie Robinson is joining us. Charlie, uh, here's a question for you. At the end of the last segment, you slightly started to bring up uh, something in regard to the you had mentioned uh, the, the the pandemic and all these things. You know, when I think about people that wear a mask or people that get a vaccine because it's the right thing to do. Right. And because they they, they believe in science and uh, it's also become a, a political identity. It's become a status symbol. It's become a virtue signal. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I've noticed that people on the other side of the spectrum they don't have to do any research. They don't even really have to have an opinion. They just don't do those things because in their view, it's the right thing to do. And not having a vaccine, not having a mask, regardless of what the reason is, it also becomes a virtue signal. It also becomes a status symbol. It also becomes a political identity. And um, I don't think enough people recognize the inconsistency there. Do you see that? Do you agree with me or do you have another point of view? I remember that um, a couple of, it might've been a year ago, there was somebody that was on TV and they were saying, you know, I, you know, why do you wear a mask? And this person was saying, I wear a mask for all the reasons that you're supposed to wear a mask, but also I wear a mask so that I don't look like a Trump supporter. And I thought, wow, that's, that's probably not a, you know, there's probably more people that have that thought that, that, that have maybe not verbalized it that way, but subconsciously they've picked a team. They're on the Democratic side, right? And we listen to Rachel Maddow and we, we get our shots and we wear our masks. And if for no other reason, then, you know, we go out and we don't have to wear our, We don't have a Democratic flag per se to wave. But if I've got a mask on and I see somebody else with a mask on, I give them a little nod because I know that we're both on the blue team, you know, and if and, and consequently, you know, the, conversely, the the people without masks, you go. With, you know, during the time when everybody had to have them on, you see somebody without ma- a mask and you go, well, you know, that guy looks like he's probably on my team. You know, I'm not wearing one either. We see each other in the grocery store. We give each other a little nod, kind of like, a, hey, I'm not participating in this either. And, uh, and we are sort of on a team, even though you and I are trying desperately not to pick a team. We're not trying to play this game, but there's this has become, we've allowed science and medical policies to become political. And obviously that's a a catastrophe waiting to happen. But, um, but, but again, I think the media, I blame the media a lot for this. They, um, they've, they've weaponized uh, science in a way that, you know, listen, you, you, they, they, They've used psychological warfare tactics to guilt you into it. They've broken your brain, like Yuri Bezmenov said, was easy to do in 60 days if mm-hmm. you just 
hammer somebody with nonstop fear. And, and, and you, you know, so we've had a number done on us. A lot of people have been broken down psychologically. So you, you made a good point. You know, this is, this is a psychological, uh, uh, it's psychological as, as much as it is political too. And what they've done is, is they understand how we think and feel and what we want. And we want safety and security. We want to be part of a, a group. We feel that there's, there's safety there. There's value there. We want to be part of a group. And we also know that most people don't want to be outside of the group. So they will do whatever they need to do to remain a part of that group, even if the requirements keep, um, you know, incrementally going up. So, well, it used to be that you needed two shots. Well, now you need a third shot. I don't want a third shot, but I also don't want to be the guy on the outside. I want to go on vacation, Ryan. I mean, I want to get on an airplane, Ryan. They promised me I could get on the airplane, so I don't want to do it. But I have to, and so these tactics that they've used on people, very devious, uh, Tavistock fingerprints all over it. You know, you get that feeling whenever you see you see these things uh, being rolled out. You just go, boy, I just know some social engineer tank somewhere came up with this idea. Have, have you read? <laughs> too, too crazy. Have you read the American Medical Association or the NIH or the SPIB, which is in the UK? Have you read any of their documents or even the World Economic Forum said lockdown was one big psychological experiment? Have you read any of this stuff, the official government documents about using psychology and not science? No, but I do remember that when the lockdowns were announced in the UK, they didn't have a doctor announce it. They had a psychiatrist Mm. or or psychologist, I guess. So I thought... Well, that's interesting. So instead of like a Fauci type character coming, not that that would be any better, but, but at least, you know, coming from a medical standpoint, we're explaining these lockdowns from the medical standpoint. They had somebody come out there that was a, a, an expert at how to, how to convince people to do things. And I thought, well, that, that's probably a good strategy on their part, you know, to, to get that person out there. But to me, it was sort of a, uh, a big flag waving saying, you know, this is, um, this is an operation. Oh, These certainly, people are trying to certainly. get you to feel a certain way. Even in the absence of science, we're going to manipulate you. So I don't like to be manipulated. I fully recognize as somebody with an advertising degree, a marketing degree, um, that that was what I was doing when I was, le- I was learning how to sell things and learning how to market and, and convince people to feel a certain way. So you can do that in a non evil sort of way when you just want to make people buy your widget. And, uh, and, and I guess there's a, a, you know, an argument to be had about manipulating people that way. But, but there's, there's, uh, you know, you, you can do that in a way that isn't harmful to society necessarily. But what we saw was psychological operations being conducted by people that are very good at them by psych warfare units and in conjunction with the media and, uh, rolling these out using celebrities, using guilt, using doctors, using appeals to authority. You know, you just go through this list of like sales tactics, you know, and I've been in sales for a while. You, you go through the sales tactic, you go, oh my God, this is like trial close. You know, they're doing oh, yeah. all the things oh, that yeah. you would, what's it going to take to put you into this vaccine today? And you're like, <laughs> you know, is it a lottery ticket? Is it a, is it donuts for a year? Some French you know, fries, they, a cheeseburger, a yep. lottery ticket. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we got a taste of this. We got a taste of, you know, it, it, for those that were paying attention, it became 
less about the science and more about some sort of incentive program. And I remember saying to people, I said, right now we are in the carrot portion of the show, but we are going to get to a place where we're going to get the stick. And that was where we went with it. You know, that was the dark winter and everybody, you guys are going to have a dark winter if you don't take these these medical injections that were, were, you know, first it was, we'll, we'll be nice to you. It's the right thing to do. Then it, they guilted you. And then it was, well, we'll give you lottery tickets. Then it was like, we'll take your job away from you. You know, we'll make it so you can't get on an airplane or cross the border or things like that. And I, this is, this is what psychopathic people do to their victims. This is, this is what your, uh, um, sociopathic, husband does to the wife. You know what I mean? These, these, these are, these are crazy tactics and we're watching them be rolled out. And, um, and then this, this overriding theme where you're not allowed to question it. You're not allowed to push back for, for fear of being anti science or anti grandma or all these things that they plugged into people's head. I'll tell you, if it wasn't so awful, it would be the, it's the most fascinating experiment to look back on because they use such a variety of tactics, all of which were, were designed to, to manipulate our, our belief systems and get us feeling a certain way and, and prey on our emotions and take, you know, a lot of good people did things against their best interest because they wanted to be helpful to society. And I, and I look, I, I get that. And I, you know, to an extent, I like, you know, thank you. But, but the problem is you were, you were being, you're being manipulated then and now and, and, um, and now we're in this new phase where it's like the people that are starting to realize that they've been manipulated, maybe they aren't as open to being told that they were wrong as I am by, by saying that I'm, I'm open to change my mind if new information is presented to me. I don't get the feeling that a lot of people out there are necessarily open to the new information that's being presented to them, that maybe they have made a catastrophic mistake and I hope that people are, are, are a little bit more flexible and able to peel back and say, whoa, I think I might have made a, uh, I think I might have done something um, really, really uh, against my own best judgment here. I need to learn more about what's really going on. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people are digging in and they're, you know, look, what's done is done and they're on that team and they're going to ride with that for, for here on out. And, um, and, but I hope that people come to sort of a, an awakening that they've been played and manipulated. There's no shame in that. You, it was done by the world's leading experts in manipulation and in tactics such as these. So, so don't feel bad, but, but do acknowledge that, that this is what's been going on. If for no other reason than, than to prevent you from walking into another one of these traps well, in well, the future. Well, ex- exactly. And so back in 2020, I, I had, um, I had started to tell people late 2019, 2020, I was working a part-time job outside radio. I was starting to tell people there was something going on in China. It seems like whatever it is is coming here. I didn't know what was going on, but I knew that a lot of the stories were inconsistent. Fast forward into 2020, I said, I don't think I'm going to participate in this because it doesn't make any sense. And I started to read up about the types of things like you don't quarantine healthy people. You don't quarantine people for asymptomatic transmission. There's no studies that actually prove that. I started reading these things. People tell, oh, you're not a scientist. You're not, a, you're not this, you're not that. And at the beginning, we didn't really know what was going on. So people sort of did things. And when people started to resist, then an alternative narrative was developed. 
I'm not saying the alternative narrative was totally incorrect. There's a lot of what we call the alternative narrative, but this is what I see, Charlie. I see an alternative narrative developed that was promoted by mainstream media through the disapproval of that narrative. And that drove more people into the alternative, into the, uh, the, the alternate of the mainstream and alternate of us, in some cases, even the alternative media into, uh, out of the independent media into kind of wild, truly wild conspiracy theories, if you will, to use that term that they use. So they, they kind of split the narrative. And at first it was okay for some people to say this came from China, then it was offensive and racist. And then it was okay to say it came from a wet mart in China. Then it was, no, it's not the wet mart. It's not the, it's not the bad. It came from a laboratory. And then that's actually a conspiracy theory. You can't talk about that. Over time, though, what we call alternative media started to, t- to take on the lab leak theory, if you will. And the mainstream media said it's crazy. And they were promoting it by saying it's crazy. And then the alternative was promoting the other narrative by saying that it was crazy. So it's kind of... There's an ancestral relationship with these two things. And anybody who said, actually, I don't really think it came from a bat and I don't know if I believe it came from a laboratory, you were totally insane and totally crazy. And both sides made up stories about what you supposedly believe, even if you don't actually believe those things. I was one of those people. I've yet to see uh, isolated evidence of a SARS-CoV-2 thing that isn't from a computer model based on other computer models. That's what I'm seeing. That's my view. That's what I'm seeing. That's what I'm reading. I haven't seen any evidence to, to the contrary of that. So that puts me, Charlie, outside of the mainstream and the alternative. And my point here is both the mainstream and the alternative have their own conspiracies, their own conspiracy theories, their own viewpoints, their own, again, collective identities and collective audiences, and they kind of feed each other. And I think the true conspiracy, if there is a true conspiracy, is to feed people these alternative narratives including the mainstream narrative, which is alternative from the alternative, of course, from that perspective, to feed people these alternative narratives to prevent them from going beyond what seems like an obvious lie or what seems like an obvious contradiction in the mainstream. And it kind of stagnates people and inhibits them from from looking further. And and it it gets to this point. This is the uh, example I wanted to share with you. Uh, I was like mid-2020, I talked to a lot of people at work about these about these things, and it was an everyday occurrence and every debates and discussions and arguments. And I had somebody tell me one time, well, I mean, I just don't trust the CDC at all. And I said, oh, OK, but, you know, don't don't you think that and this is my question to you, Charlie, like, don't you think that if the CDC recommends that after you you go to the bathroom and, and, and you poop, you should probably wash your hands? Like, that's probably a good idea. And, and this was a thing on social media. I don't trust anything the CDC says. Don't listen to them. Don't wipe your hands after you go to the bathroom. Wash your hands after you go to the bathroom and things like that. I mean, that to me is like the most unbelievable psychological manipulation, distortion, uh, delusion that, that, that you can manufacture in a human being. It, to get people so terrified of anything official that they go so far beyond the alternative that they basically digress in evolutionary terms. And that, I think, if there is a conspiracy, that is one of the primary elements of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it's so difficult for people to sort of remain, you know, it's not even really in the middle, but just not at the polar, you know, not at the, the, the far extremes. You can, you can call the CDC a vaccine, comp- vaccine company masquerading as a regulatory agency, which is what I call them and be correct about that and yet still acknowledge that washing your hands after going to the restroom is a 
smart move from a hygienic <laughs> standpoint. You can, you can, you can have these, both of these beliefs and hold them simultaneously and not be a hypocrite and still be correct in your assessment of it. But you're right. Like they want to make it, it you know, everything that, that comes from, and I'm in, and, and to be fair, I'm guilty of this from time to time too, saying I don't trust are. the FDA with are. anything, you know, you know, but but the, but then of course someone could pull up a study and say, well, the FDA said that drinking water is good for you. So okay, fine, I have to confess that's fine. You know, <laughs> right? But, exactly. Yes. But 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 uh, but I'll tell you what. One good thing that you know, whether someone goes far, you know, to the far extreme and and says I won't trust any single thing that these agencies talk about, that's that's unnecessary. But I'll tell you what, I was grateful for. I was grateful that people started to at least question them. You know, that they that they looked at the FDA and said, well, hang on a second. There is this really weird relationship where these guys that are managing these these oversight agencies wind up going through this revolving door into the pharmaceutical industry. And then people from pharma come in and and take positions in the regulatory agencies and this this weird circle. And hey, maybe maybe these two institutions aren't um, as separate as we would like them to be. Maybe there's quite a bit, if it's a Venn diagram with the CDC, FDA, and big pharma, there's an overlap. You know, there's a connection there where, where these groups are all working together, at least some of the same people. So in one respect, I, I do, I am glad that a lot of people started asking the questions of like, hey, hang on a second. Maybe, maybe these people aren't all working on our behalf, maybe the maybe the FDA and the CDC, maybe these people are are plotting their escape. Maybe you're going to be the you know you're running the CDC and 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 Pfizer or Merck is saying you know it'd be great to have you know when you're done here it'd be great to have um, see more of you you know wink wink you know what that means you know you're going to get a job you know oh but we do have this this new drug that's uh, working its way through the regulatory process and. And, um, we hope it's going to be a big one for us. And boy, you know, it'd be great to see, you know, did you, Ryan, did I mentioned that every year we go to Hawaii, we have these speaking gigs at 15 minutes. We'd love to have you and your family come as, you know, and, and you start to realize, Oh, I get it. I see what's going on here. I understand how the system works. So, um, and listen, that happens in ufology and the new age community and all these ancient civilization, alien conferences, the same, I've experienced that firsthand. The same thing happens there. Yeah. 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 We'd love to have you come. And then, you know, you feel, you know, as long as, you know, you, you feel the same way about this stuff as, as we feel, and this is, then, then there's doors are opening for you. And, and the minute you get outside of that, um, then those doors shut. And so you, you, where we wind up is we're on this little Island out sort of by ourselves and that, I don't necessarily, I'm not looking to be on any of these teams. Um, and, and I just want to be, I want to actually I need to stay as objective as I can if, because, uh, that's the best way to not uh, be influenced into you, you have feeling a, one way or another. Yeah. You have a responsibility as a broadcaster too, or at least I, I mean, you do your show how many days a week, Charlie? Uh, two, two days a week. Plus I've got a flashback show on Fridays where we bring back old episodes. Still, podcast, radio show, doesn't matter what it is, even if you're just pirate broadcasting from you know your basement, you still have a responsibility as a broadcaster, at least I believe that, to try to be objective and, and attempt to be objective about the things that you investigate, the things that you analyze, the things that you talk about. And I mean, here's something, we've only got about six minutes left here, but here, here's, a, here's an example that I've been thinking of a lot recently. 
they, they keep by they, I mean, the, the Democrat left keep talking about the Inflation Reduction Act. And then the conservative right has their own response to that. So you watch some of these congressional Senate debates and the liberal accuses the conservative or the Democrat accuses the Republican. You, you didn't vote for this or you wouldn't have voted for this. And so you don't want prescription drugs to be capped at so many thousands of dollars. And you don't want people to have their drugs and their insulin. And the Republican always responds back with, well, yeah, you voted for IRS agents and you want people to you know, have their businesses seized and their assets seized. And I find both those arguments to be totally ridiculous. And I think we saw a good example of how to handle that with, well, we've seen that with Carrie Lake here in Arizona. She just took out documents and showed the media recently. She said, well, what about Stacey Abrams? She won't concede her election from a couple of years ago. Uh, what about uh, Hillary Clinton? She said President Trump didn't win the election, and she just turned, turned the script on them to show the hypocrisy. Uh, another great example, I don't know if you've heard this, and, you know, Charlie, I, I don't know uh, what, your, um, what your health is in your life, but uh, this isn't about health or nutrition or eating a certain way. It's just, just listen to what Herschel Walker said at this Senate debate. He's being grilled on how he wouldn't have supported the Inflation Reduction Act. And listen to what he says. And then I want to tell you, uh, when you're listening to this, think that both conservatives and liberals went after Herschel Walker, who's a Republican. Both Republicans and Democrats went after him for saying what he said. Take a listen to this. Uncaps the cost of insulin. He said he would not have voted for the Inflation Reduction Act. And I think he should tell the people of Georgia why he thinks they should have expensive insulin and why the pharmaceutical companies should be able to charge us whatever they like. Well, first of all, may I respond? You know, I believe in reducing insulin, but at the same time, you got to eat right because he may not know, and I know many people that's on insulin. And unless you have a eating right, insulin is doing you no good. So unless you're eating right, the insulin's doing you no good. So instead of supporting drug companies by lowering artificially high costs anyway, we, we could take a little bit more responsibility. We know that diabetes type 2 can be about 80% of the cases can be reversed and even prevented according to the CDC. So we could just eat right. Nobody wanted to talk about that though. Conservatives, liberals, they all attacked him. The reason again I'm bringing this up is because Here's a very common sense solution. It's a very good answer to that Inflation Reduction Act question. And because it doesn't play well with either side, everybody converges. Everybody attacks Herschel Walker. It's fraud. It's anti-science. You no, know, we need the insulin. We need the drug companies. So this is, a, this is distorted reality. And the way in which both political sides handled this situation is actually very harmful to people that might be suffering from from diabetes. I mean, taking insulin is one thing, but how about we just reduce the usage of it by fixing the problem to begin with, which according to even the mainstream CDC says, you know, you can fix that problem. So, so Charlie, in your response to this, I'm not looking for an ideological, personal, you know, point of view on eating a certain way. Uh, I'm just curious if you see what I'm saying about, about his comments. 100% personal responsibility will not win you the election. You know, if you're running on that That's platform right. of we've got to take care of, or you've got to, Hey, you've got to take responsibility for your own actions too out there, buddy. That's going to make people think, how dare you attack me? But the truth is, look, I'm in great shape. I just, I just celebrated my 50th birthday. I've never felt better. I weigh the same, actually I weigh a little bit less than I did when I was in college. Um, I work out five times a week. I'm very diligent. I don't eat a bunch of garbage. And as a result of that, I don't have diabetes. I'm not on prescription medicine. 
I recognize that some of that is, you know, you get a little bit lucky too, but, or genetics or whatever you want to call it. But the truth is I could do nothing. And I chose, and I chose to become healthy and active a long, long time ago. I've made it a part of my life. And those times, you know, the times when those guys are down at the bar drinking beer and doing all that, I'm in the gym. And, and I, and I'm fine with that. And I'm not trying to tell everybody they all, they have to live a lifestyle like mine, but, 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 but look, I'm healthy because I'm making myself healthy. I'm making the decisions that people need to make in order to put themselves in a position to have good health or to retain their health. So I like what Herschel Walker's talking about. And look, he's a guy that would know. I mean, he's, he has a legendary, you know, regiment of, of not getting too complex. I mean, for, for those that don't know, I worked in the sports industry, but Herschel Walker was known as a guy that just did sit-ups and just did pull-ups and push-ups. And that was all he did to get himself ready. He wasn't a big, you know, I'm in the gym doing all these crazy things. He was keeping it real simple and he was very disciplined and he was a great athlete and so he would know, he would understand hey, what we, these things don't, they don't happen accidentally. You have to make them happen and it's your responsibility. You're right. We cannot rely on politicians left or right to do these things for us. Charlie Robinson, our guest this evening, we've got to take a break next hour with Charlie Robinson of macro aggressions. Don't go anywhere. Stay with us. You are listening to the secret teachings contact the show to share information and your opinion or give recommendations email rdgable at yahoo.com visit the facebook page facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings or visit the website at www.thesecretteachings.info if you enjoy the secret teachings and want to hold years of ryan's research in your hands grab a physical and digital copy of his books occult arcana will introduce you to sacred myths folklore and alchemy the technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and ai to black goo and ufos Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. Visit thesecretteachings.info. People ask me all the time what they can do to take control of their lives when facing a daily onslaught of dis and misinformation. I say take control of your body and mind with water filtration. Visit www.thesecretteachings.info and click on our affiliate sponsor link with Pro One Water Filters at the top of the page to search for a water filter for the home, camping trip, and even in the shower. They filter countless contaminants and make a wonderful gift for friends, family, and yourself. That's Pro One Water Filters at thesecretteachings.info. The Secret Teachings radio show is on Facebook and Twitter. Just search facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings to like us and TST underscore underscore radio to tweet with us. If you'd like to hear more of The Secret Teachings, if you missed a show or part of a show, sign up to the ever-expanding archive at thesecretteachings.info. When you subscribe for a month or a year, you get access to the full show archive to every show after it airs. 
You can download and stream unlimited episodes and share your login with friends or family. With your subscription, you can also get access on the website to all of Ryan's digital books and the ever-growing montage archive. Just visit thesecretteachings.info and click on the Donate Subscribe tab at the top of the page. Use the secure PayPal link and start your membership today. By subscribing, you support The Secret Teachings, Ryan, and yourself. Hello, folks. This is Jordan Maxwell, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. Excellent shows. Keep listening with your host, Ryan Gable. Think about your hero when you're at ground zero and crawl up to the fall or back to me. Attention, you are tuned into restricted airspace. Tune out immediately. This is the frequency of The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. Hi everyone, this is Mark Passio, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. are tuned into the secret teachings radio i'm your host ryan gable thank you so much for joining us you can search for the secret teachings on any radio or podcast player and listen to the show for free or there are links on our website to certain players and a embedded uh, file system so you can just listen and scroll through the shows for free otherwise if you want to get rid of the advertisements in those shows because they are monetized you can subscribe like you heard it break to our archive on the website thesecretteachings.info if you'd like to contact the show rdgable at yahoo.com tst underscore underscore radio on twitter and facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings charlie robinson is my guest this evening he is the host of macro aggressions that's macro aggressions you can find that on apple podcasts i know that's the big one but other places as well and tonight we're trying to find our balance we're trying to find where exactly objectivity lies and sometimes it's a little more politically to the left or to the right sometimes it's not on the spectrum at all things are i believe when we talk about important issues or issues that we don't consider important but maybe you individually think is an important issue whatever the issue is whatever the the subject is whatever the topic is we talk about things as if there's always a wrong or right, left or right, up or down way to approach them. When virtually everything we discuss and we talk about and we debate, which a debate isn't an argument and, and you shouldn't try to win a debate, you should try to come up with a, you know, a, a better argument, a better solution to the problem that's being debated. Uh, when we have the types of discussions that turn into those you know, debates that, that we know them, arguments and trying to win, uh, people just say anything because they're trying to win for their team. They're, they're, they're putting it all on the court or they're leaving it all on the field. And that is a very tribalistic and, well, it's a very collectivized way of thinking. And I know that people on the right tend to think that everybody on the left is fulfilling George Orwell or Aldous Huxley's vision of a dystopian future. But, you know, those dystopian futures were really uh, contemporary events that were happening at the time when they were written. Partly, some things were sort of, quote, predictions for the future, where things were going to go if they continued to, to, to be 
um, unfolding the way that they were at the time. Uh, but you know what? The left also sees the right as being those things. Everybody sees each other as banning books and canceling, you know, people from speaking and, and, and everybody's woke or everybody's a conspiracy theorist. And, and just when you stop for a second, you realize that we're missing a lot of context and we're missing a lot of information. And the only way that we can have an objective, rational, reasonable point of view is to uh, uh, consider everything and not name call or allow others to call us names uh, in regard to especially very hot topic issues. So uh, I'll give you one example. Uh, when someone says, I don't trust the CDC, well, that's, that's fine. You don't have to trust the CDC. I don't trust a lot of what the CDC does. But if the CDC says you should wash your hands after you go poop, you probably should be washing your hands after you go poop, and you probably shouldn't be looking on a government website to find that recommendation in the first place. That should be common sense, basic hygiene, which has been one of the driving factors in eliminating most diseases in the developed world. When it comes to other things, however, we have a lot of chronic disease in the developed world, and we act like we don't know where it comes from, despite the fact that Dr. Dean Ornish showed in the late 90s that heart disease can be reversed with a plant-based, low-fat diet and with relaxation techniques, undisputed, indisputable, factually proven over and over again. Doesn't mean you can't eat meat. It just means that if you want to get rid of your heart disease or prevent it from getting worse, there is a way to do it. It is scientifically, factually, nutritionally, 100% proven, and it works, and there really aren't any side effects at all. Now, the CDC says that you can eliminate we talked about this Friday, eliminate risk factors like diet, poor diet and smoking and inactivity. And you could prevent 80% of heart disease and stroke, 80% of type two diabetes, 40% of cancer. The people that trust the CDC and that love everything about masks and vaccines and COVID-19 should be reading that and saying, hold on a second. If you really want to stop people from dying and you want to, you want to do it in a safe and effective way, it's not through vaccines and masks. It's through lifestyle changes and don't smoke as much and don't drink as much. And, and we're talking millions of people that die from totally preventable, treatable things. So Charlie, uh, Charlie Robinson is our guest this evening. Charlie, when I'm thinking of this, I'm thinking the people that support the CDC should recognize if you really want to stop people from dying, you want to do it safe and effectively, there are really simple ways to do it. But the problem is the, the, the political opposition to the people that trust the CDC since they don't trust the CDC, they don't believe that that's true, or it means that everybody has to take responsibility. And like Herschel Walker said at the Senate debate in Georgia, if you don't eat right, all these drugs don't really do anything. Insulin isn't going to do anything for you. And, and that's really, I think, the root core of this. So, so, so if you think about capping prescription drugs with the Inflation Reduction Act, that really isn't the issue that should be debated. The issue is why are so many people on prescription drugs? Why do so many people need insulin when this is a treatable, curable, preventable thing? Along with that train of thought, we can proceed into anything else tonight, but 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 your thought, because I cut you off at the end of the last hour uh, when we played that Herschel Walker clip, um, why are so many people on prescription drugs? Like We don't have that discussion. We have the, pres that's what it is, it's prescribed a prescribed political debate that doesn't get us anywhere. And this applies to everything, not just drugs and eating right and things like that. It applies to virtually every conversation we have. Well, we've gone well, well past that. We're, we're just now in the acceptance phase where 
it's accepted that everybody's on prescription drugs. It's accepted that. Like uh, it's a new normal. Right. Exactly. 40 million people have diabetes. That's just normal. That's just the way it is. Now, the question is, we're going to debate whether or not the drugs for diabetes should be $100 or $12, right? That's that's the new acceptable debate. And it's like, hang on a second. Hang on a second, guys. What what if, what if, maybe we're crazy here, but what if we just did things that prevented you from getting diabetes in the first place and therefore it wouldn't matter if the drugs were $100 or $12. You wouldn't need the drugs in the first place. And they, you can feel like the, you know, the entire room turn and look at you like, how <gasps> dare you bring logic and reason and personal responsibility into this debate that we're having? We're trying to figure out whether the pharmaceutical companies are the devil or if they're needed. And you're in here trying to tell us that we need to take responsibility for our own action. How dare you, you know? And so that is of course the conversation that we have to have, but, um, and, and, and great on Herschel Walker for, for making that, that, uh, connection obviously. But, um, but that's, that that is that has been uh, frowned upon by the establishment media. Uh, we are in a world where you know these things are you know you can't we mistakes were made. You know we can't we can't go litigating the past. We can't go dig into to what the actual mistakes were. We're just going to move for we're going to use the Donald Rumsfeld. You know mistakes were made. We're charting a course forward. We're not going to worry about the past. It's like well hang on a second. Let's let's do worry about the past because. If we understand what we've been doing, then we'll understand why we're in this situation. That's how you solve Maybe problems. The reason, right. Maybe the reason why we're in this situation is because we have changed our culture, especially here in America. We have a very unhealthy physical, if we're going to keep this on sort of the health topic, we have uh, unhealthy diets, lifestyles advertisements on TV. Now we have like DoorDash and, and, and Uber Eats and things like this, making everything more convenient. We have um, high fructose corn syrup, and we've got a recipe for disaster from a, a health ec- epidemic here. And the thing is, that we didn't get struck by some comet. It didn't come out, you know, this didn't just, you know, impact us out of nowhere. We allowed this to happen. We made this happen. I've seen, you know, I think a lot of people, if you've been online, there's this, there's this picture that, that goes around. You'll see it from time to time. It's like from the early 70s. And it shows like a beach in Hawaii or it shows like a bunch of people sort of at this beach walking down the sidewalk. And there's not a single fat person in, in the picture. You know, and they go, what has changed? You know, what, what's happened here? Our whole culture has shifted. And, and instead of getting to the root of the problem and maybe solving it, uh, these politicians that, that want to, you know, that run for, for office, they don't, uh, they just want to, you know, paper over that. You know, they, they want to say, well, what can we do to, I'm not looking for a long-term solution. Hell, I'll be gone. I'll be out of office. You won't vote for me. I don't need a long-term. I, I mean, I'm talking about the temporary solutions. My temporary solution is better than the other candidates' temporary solution. When you want one one person to just step up and say, this isn't a quick fix, guys. This is something that we need to culturally change. We need to change the way we we act and behave and see these, the, you know, our relationship with food, our relationship with the fast food industry. It, hey, you at the CDC and the FDA, you need to be in, involved in this discussion too, because 
you have allowed things like this food pyramid to, to be normalized and, and you guys have taken your money from the sugar industry and you guys have done all these things. And now you're trying to, you're, you're doing it again. Here's the next phase of it, Ryan, unfortunately, is the demonization of all meat, right? Now meat's killing everybody. It's killing the planet and everything. So now the question isn't, should we be demonizing meat? The question is, well, how much of a carbon footprint are we going to allow? Are we going to allow 10 units or 100 units of, of this? I mean, what, what is reasonable? And the next thing you know, we'll be debating that instead of whether or not we, have, we should actually have a problem with meat in the first place. So the, the, we allow the politicians to distract us by, by taking like these very surface area components of the argument and fighting vigorously over those, meanwhile, missing the root of the problem, which uh, if we had focused on that a long time ago, we wouldn't be in this. A hundred, hundred percent. And I, and, and I, I like that Herschel Walker in that clip I played earlier and I played it on Friday's show too. I like that. He said, you know, maybe he doesn't know this. A lot of people don't know this. I mean, he was in the NFL. He was very healthy. So he knows this, but most people don't know that you can reverse diabetes and you don't have to take that insulin at all. And I like how his opponent is like, well, you know, I, I, I voted to get the prescription drug costs down. And, and, you know, Herschel Walker says, well, why, why don't we just work to get basically to get people off the insulin? Then the drug companies don't make any money. And, th- and, and this is, this is the problem. And again, it's, you can expand this to any issue. Uh, one thing that I, I researched for my show Friday, Charlie, and I, I wrote a book called Food Philosophy, and I had a section on food colorings. And you know, again, it doesn't matter what you think about food or health or nutrition or COVID-19, but just, a, just an interesting comparison. I was reading about blue one and blue two, red 40, and then a little bit about yellow five and yellow six. And I, I kind of forgot this, but when I was reading back through it in my book, preparing for the show Friday, I read that blue one and blue two in, in particular, but red 40 as well, causes kidney and liver toxicity, hyperactivity, hypersensitivity, in the same way that fat also causes diabetes. It's not just sugar. In fact, some people think it's not sugar at all. It's not sugar that makes you have a hyperactive child. It's usually the food colorings, the food dyes. That's part of it. So blue one and blue two do those things. But here's what else they do. They also, according to all the studies about these food colorings, they are well-known to alter your DNA. They cause cellular and DNA damage. I read that and I thought, okay, hold on a second. So if you're going out and buying like, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm just saying if you go out and buy Count Chocula, uh, Frankenberry and Booberry, you know, the, the Halloween series, you've seen those, right? Charlie, there's a famous every year. Oh, of course. I mean, I grew up eating Count me Chocula. Too. Are you kidding me? <laughs> me? Me too, me too. So you got blue one and blue two in there. Now, those things cause cellular and DNA damage in every single study that's conducted on them. That's pretty consistent scientific data. So I wonder how many people say for one reason or another or a number of reasons, I'm not getting a COVID vaccine because it's the right thing to do, because it's my political identity, because I don't trust the vaccine manufacturers. I don't trust the ingredients. I don't trust the side effects. This is gene therapy. This can affect my DNA. I'm going to go have a bowl of blueberry. Now, it might not be the same effect. You might take a vaccine, be fine. You might take a vaccine and die. You might eat a bowl of blueberry, be fine. You might eat 100 bowls and you develop some kind of condition. The point is, if blue one and blue two can cause DNA damage, what is the difference between that and the vaccine that you don't want? That's the issue that I'm having here is the, there's, there's inconsistency. Some people just don't know this, which is, to, to be fair, most people don't know this. I, I had to research and learn this. But there's an inconsistency here, Charlie. And there's a lot of hypocrisy here, especially from people that can't acknowledge, which 
I, I've taken three Tylenols this year. I can count them on one hand. Kind of makes me a hypocrite in one way. But you have to weigh the benefits and the downsides of, of the situation. And that's, you know, that's something that we're not even allowed to do anymore. We're not allowed to weigh the, the benefits of the situation against the potential consequences. So I, I see something as simple as that food colorings can cause DNA alterations, not to mention that these cereals now are made with, it says uh, on the side of the box, bioengineered ingredients. So genetically modified corn and food colorings that alter your DNA. I don't see how that's any different than a gene therapy shot, but people will eat the cereal and then they'll, no, 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 I don't want any shot. You have a right to it. I'm just saying that there's a similarity there. Isn't there a little inconsistency there, Charlie? Well, of course. Yeah. And we're all responsible for doing our own research and understanding this. I think a lot of people have been, have outsourced their critical thinking to the media or to the science, you know, and, and they say, well, I'm not a, I'm not an engineer. How would I know how, how this all works? I'm not a, I'm not a chemist. I'm not in there making these food colorings. I don't know how they work, but if the FDA approved it, then they wouldn't have approved it if it, if it was poisonous and and it is approved. So therefore it, it equals, it's not poisonous. So they make this assumption. They make this sort of, you know, they say, well, I, I can't think about this stuff. I wouldn't know where to start. We'll let the other people think. Now, that's fine, of course. We don't know it all. And there's people that specialize in certain things. And you should outsource your critical thinking to them from time to time because you don't want me building the bridge. You want a guy that's an actual engineer building the bridge. Of course. You're going to drive across. So so in, it's not all bad. But the but the where you where you have where you have to take some personal responsibilities you have to try to understand who it is that you're outsourcing this to are they on your side do they want the same things that you want or do they have some sort of agenda are they financially incentivized to approve something that might be bad for you because the guys that made the decision to approve it are just about to go to work for the company that's manufacturing it they're about to leave, quit this job and go to work for them as a consultant and they go ahead and approve these things. So we, we, we have to take, again, it goes back to personal responsibility, understanding your food, understanding as much as you can, you know, to the extent that you can, but being responsible for your own health and not saying, well, you know, I just, I, I, I hope, I, I guess these people are, I guess this food is fine because it was approved. I mean, genetically modified food sounds terrible, but you know, why, how would they have ever been able to get that approved if it wasn't good for you? And it's, and it's approved and I see it everywhere. So it's got to be good for me. So I'm just going to keep eating it and I'm never going to dig into it. Well, you can do that and you can live that lifestyle and you can, you can run your, your life that way and do that for your kids too, if you want, but you're going to get what you get. You know, you're going to get the results that they want you to have. And unfortunately, I think maybe I guess fortunately for us, because we're a little bit paranoid about this stuff, I don't, my default mechanism is set to not trust these people. And I don't, I don't automatically give them the benefit of of the doubt and say, well, clearly there, this food is going to be good for me. I have to do a little bit of an examination and I'm not going to get it right every time. And there, there will be things that, that, like as an example, I didn't know that those food colorings uh, changed your DNA. I knew they weren't good for you, but I didn't know exactly how bad they were for you. So again, you it, your knowledge base with regard to this is cumulative. You're responsible for going out and finding that information, processing it, just determining whether it 
you know, it makes sense to you. And if it does keep it, you know, add to it and talk to your friends and family about it. But if you're, if you're waiting for the FDA or, or, or these groups to say, this is safe for you, just understand that they don't necessarily do that. They have other things going on. And sometimes there's a lot of money at stake and sometimes things get approved. You know, we, we, we obviously, you know, about the aspartame situation where they couldn't get that approved for 10 years. And to the point where the FDA was like, listen, you guys keep faking these studies. Or I'm just, we're going to push for you guys to be put in jail for this. And then they, they go out and they say, well, we got to get this stuff approved. And you know, yeah, we know it's killing all the mice, giving them all tumors and everything. But besides that, we really have a lot of money in this. We've got to get this approved. So what do you do? Do you change your formula to make it safer? Or do you go out and hire Donald Rumsfeld mm-hmm. to come in and be the CEO of your company who then knows all the guys at the FDA and then magically a year later, it's approved. That's how things really work in this world. Now, if you think that aspartame in your Diet Coke is safe for you, and I drank Diet Coke for a long, long time and gave myself headaches, so I finally got got uh, got it figured out and quit that, you know, you just make this assumption, oh, it's Diet Coke, it's probably not that bad for you. Meanwhile, if you don't know that backstory, you're going, oh, well, this, hang on a second, this isn't safe. And the way it got approved was totally, uh, well, totally immoral for Washington. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, but, but, but it, it requires a little bit of cynicism, a little bit of distrust. I don't think that's the worst thing, but take a look at, you know, re-examine the foods that you're eating because listen, listen, Herschel's right. You know, you, 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 there are things that you can do to put your body in a better position, put yourself in a better position to deal with these things. And if you're unwilling or unable to do it, then then frankly, I'm not really um, all that interested in hearing about whether you want the prescription drugs to be a little bit cheaper for you. Like this is a preventable thing. Maybe you need to do it for yourself. No, you know what it's like? It's like I, I don't know Herschel Walker's opponent. I don't know if he has any connections to the drug industry, but I know a lot of politicians, Democrat and Republican do, whether it's a revolving door or they just get paid. So it's like they make agreements with, make deals with to keep drugs at a certain cost. And then election time comes around and we'll, we'll lower those costs. But you're basically working for the, the industry. You're working for the company and you make it an agreement to lower the cost so people will vote for you. But they're, they're still overcharging for something that most people don't even need if they took care of themselves. In the same way, it's kind of like a car salesman. The guy goes into the back office. He's like, let me see what I can do for you. He goes and just sits in the manager's office for a second. Kind of like that episode of Seinfeld at the rental car company. And then it comes back. He's like, I'm going to do something real special for you. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to drop this much off the price, but it's already overpriced and you're actually still overpaying for it. But he took off $500 for you and he put an air freshener in the car. It's the same thing with the drug companies and they act not only to the drug companies, but the people that represent them essentially and not the people that elected them. The politicians do the same thing. They basically work for those companies. And I mean, you know, Charlie, there's a lot of angles we could take to this. Uh, I think, I mean, since you were in sports, I, I want to ask you, did you see the uh, the the clip of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach Todd Bowles or Bowles uh, and the racism questions that he was being asked? Did you hear about this or, or listen to this clip? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Are you going to play it? Yeah, I'm going to play it for you because I, this is just another example. And it takes us away from food into a totally seemingly different subject, but it's very similar. All the people, all these reporters that are asking questions about equality and justice and people with dark skin, they're actually asking questions that are fundamentally discriminatory and racist. Take a listen to this. 
and two of the few black head coaches in the league. I wonder what your relationship is like with them and your thoughts on Steve Wilkes joining that fold. So what's your relationship with the other black coaches in the league? I have a very good relationship with Tomlin. Uh, we don't look at what color we are when we coach against each other. We just know each other. I have a lot of very good white friends that coach in this league as well, and I don't think it's a big deal as far as us being coaching against each other. I think it's normal. Wilkes got an opportunity to do a good job. Hopefully he does it. And we coach ball. We don't look at color. But you also understand that representation matters too, right? And that when young aspiring coaches or even football players, they see you guys, you know, they see someone that looks like them, maybe grew up like them, that has to mean something. So this reporter, if you couldn't hear her, she said, well, what about people that, you know, representation, people that they, they, they see you and you look like them and, you know, representation, doesn't that matter? Well, when you say you see you guys and look like them and grow up like them, it means that we're eyeballs to begin with. And I think the minute you guys start, stop making a big deal about it, everybody else will as well. I thought that was one of the best answers I've heard from someone asked a question like that. What, what do you mean you people? And because we look alike, we almost know each other. We're all brothers and sisters. But they've just found a new way to project the racism now, Charlie. And it's a very similar yep. thing to everything else we've discussed tonight. And there's also something in the, in the NFL known as the Rooney Rule. The Rooney Rule is a, it's named after Art Rooney, who is the owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And what it says is that when you are hiring a new head coach and a new general manager, you must, according to this rule, bring in a black candidate for those to, uh, as part of the hiring process. Now, it, for, for, for those that, I mean, I worked in professional sports and in, uh, owned a company that does media training for pro sports, for pro athletes. We'd get guys ready for the draft and interviews and public speaking and things like this. So I spent a lot of time around pro athletes and, and organizations. And so, you know, look, sometimes an organization fires their head coach at the end of the year. They have an idea of who they want. They want to get this other coach. He's out there. He's going to be a good fit. They want to hire him. They're going to bring him in. But then they also have to bring in a black uh, uh, option as well to interview. And these these coaches have figured this out over the, the last 20 years or so since this has been in place that sometimes they're just being in to fill the quota. They, they're just being in to, to be in compliance with the Rooney rule, that there's no intention of actually hiring these guys at all. And if you look back on how many black head coaches there are currently as opposed to how many black head coaches there were when the Rooney rule went into effect, it's the same amount. <laughs> Nothing's changed. I mean, they've added coaches and coaches have gone away, but, but like he mentioned right now, they're, they're back to three. And one of them is a, is a temporary guy who just got promoted because they fired the head coach. So it was two at the beginning well, of how this many, year. How many teams are in the NFL, Charlie? Was it 32? 32. Okay. So there's yeah. 30, 32 teams in the NHL. Or the, the, the NFL, excuse me. I'm thinking of the NHL because I pulled up an article about that. But so there's 32 teams in the NFL. One thing I find interesting about this is that most of the owners in, of these NFL teams are, are actually Jewish. That seems disproportionate. Uh, nobody ever asks that question. That's not a discriminatory thing. But, but you know that like over half the owners are Jewish for a population that's less than a, a fraction of a percent. Uh, same thing with with African-Americans and black people. Black people make up roughly 14 percent of the u.s population so in a league that's very very small compared you know in terms of how many people work and play in the league very small compared to the hundreds of millions of people that live here three or four head coaches that are black that seems statistically about right 
Yeah. And well, yeah, well, first of all, you could never ask the question about Jewish ownership of, of the NFL without, without, you know, the media completely just eviscerating people for how dare you ask that question. We can ask, we can ask Todd Bowles all day long about, you know, your guys, your people and what, you know, whether or not you guys are all friends because you look the same. Uh, that's fine. That's totally not racist, but God forbid you, you bring up the fact that, uh, that, uh, you know, almost I'd say more it, it probably more than half of the the ownership in the NFL are Jewish and um and and so yeah the NFL has these these there's hypocrisy it's just it it's uh um I get it they want to make sure that there's there's more representation of black coaches and general managers in these sports as opposed to it just being all white guys. But the truth of the matter really is this. This is a league in which you are judged by wins and losses. There is no, there's no incentive for somebody to hire a candidate that they don't think is the best fit for their team based on when, you know, just based on skin color. If you've got a guy that you think is better, who's white and, or, you know, and you, you interview the black guy and you say, well, we got to hire the black guy. Cause we, even though we don't want him, the general manager and the owner that makes the decision, but the general manager in particular, well, look, if you start losing his job's gone. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and conversely, if the best guy for the team, you know, to, to run this team is a black guy, you don't need the Rooney rule. It's unnecessary. Right. You're going to fill it with the best. Cause you are, you are measure it's measurable, um, you know, your, your job is easily measured in the NFL. Wins and losses matter. If you don't uh, deliver, whether you're white or black, it doesn't really matter. Todd Bowles has done a great job. He was the defensive coordinator for the Buccaneers. They won a Super Bowl. The head coach uh, retired, moved up into management. They said, well, who are we going to put in here? You could have had Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator, who's also black, or you could have Todd Bowles. They said, well, we'll just promote Todd and make him the head coach. That, that had nothing to do with the color coach. of his skin. He's a good coach. Good coach, knows the team, won a Super Bowl with the team, team likes him, team responds well, we'll put him in that situation. Doesn't matter if he's red, white, or blue. So here's what, here's what I also read. 58% of the NFL is black. So that's a majority. So I, that would, I, I would like the media to ask, how, how are you going about trying to make sure that white people feel more represented on the playing field? Because they're a minority in the NFL. No one's going to ask that question. How do you go about describing why over half the ownership is Jewish? Not a bad thing. Just it's curious because Jewish people make up such a small percent of the population. So these are questions that you could apply to any sports league. They're not doing this because they care. They're doing this because it's a divisive issue. It's a cultural issue that can shift and shape the culture. Fundamentally, it's it's class struggle or Marxism uh, at its core ideologically. Uh, but it's and it's also similar outside of sports. Like I, I remember this commercial, Charlie. During the, I don't only I only watch the Super Bowl every year because I do the analysis uh, with Clyde. And I remember like two years ago they had this commercial about astronauts. I don't know if you remember this, and it said something about how we got to get more women into uh, the astronaut field. There aren't enough women, and it, it's like Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson breaks this down very well. I, I did some reading about, you know, women astronauts. And I, I remember Sally Ride off the top of my head and I looked up some others. There's Anna McLean and Peggy Whitston and Christina Koch and some others that have been astronauts. And I think, okay, there's there's plenty of women astronauts. There's dozens of women astronauts. Is it because the uh, the, the, the the National Space Agency is is sexist? 
Or is it because that's a job that a lot of women just typically don't get into, like by choice? It, 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 it's very hard to become an astronaut, whether you're a man, woman, black or white. You need impeccable credentials to even get into the program, let alone excel in the program, let alone make it into space. It's a very small group of people. In the same way that you look at the NFL and they say, well, why, well, why, why aren't there more black head coaches? Well, because black people make up a small percent of the population and there are plenty of black coaches, defensive coordinators, offensive coordinators, ha- over half the league is black. What exactly are these people trying to get at? I don't understand it. And by the way, we're skipping this break. Charlie Robinson is our guest. This is The Secret Teachings. Charlie, go ahead. Well, the, look, the media is the enemy of mankind. We know that. They love these distractions. They love to get in there and, and pit one group against the other. Truth of the matter is, if you're, if you're qualified, you've got a chance. You've got an opportunity. What, what winds up happening when they do this, you know, these mandatory interviews is that some of the people go in there thinking, well, this isn't, you know, I'm not even really a candidate for this. So um, I'm just a diversity uh, requirement getting, getting checked off their, their checklist so that the league won't find them a million dollars for not interviewing, uh, you know, a, a blackhead coach. But the truth is, if, if you're qualified, if you're good at your job, you'll find a way. And if you're bad, you're bad. And it doesn't matter. There's no incentive for, for ownership for general managers, front office to hire people that are not the best for the job. Now, skin color, I guess, in this world is is a thing. Um, you know, David Icke describes it, you know, what color spacesuit you're wearing, who cares what color spacesuit you're wearing. Uh, in the end, uh, in, in something as, as uh, you know, we're, we're starting to see that the pendulum swing towards, you know, we're seeing these, these job openings, not NFL related, but just life, you know, typical life related that, that are saying, you know, we're, we're interested in, in, uh, candidates that come from a marginalized background only. And it's like, okay. So it's like read between the lines, like white people do not apply. Okay. Um, that's super racist. Uh, and totally, totally that should, racist. That shouldn't be accepted e- either. Hey, poor, poor, and poor, what ki- are we- poor kids are just as smart as white kids. Right, right, right. So we're, 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 we're trying to, um, you know, there's, there's a, there's a racial undertone to all of this too. So until I think, I think what Todd Bowles said was, was really profound actually, until you guys stop making a big deal out of it, it's not going to go away. It's always going to be a big deal because they keep making a big deal out of it. You know, in that, in that world or in life in general, you shouldn't hire somebody. I, I run a real estate brokerage. I want the best people. I want the be- my agents to be the best. I don't care what color they are. I don't care what religion they are. Do you work? Are you a smart person? Are you a good person? Are your clients going to like you? Are you going to say the right things and do the right things? Do you have integrity? Uh, if you've got those things, then, then I don't really care about the rest because it's about... Um, you know, it's about performance based. And, and so in some of these, but in some of these industries, uh, performance is, is, is takes a backseat to activism. We hear guys talking about the people that work in big tech, working at Twitter and Google and Facebook and places, you know, these employees think they're activists. They forget that they're engineers. Like, I don't care whether you think you want to promote black lives matter or 106 different genders, do your job first. Do, if you're not doing that, then you're fired. And, and that's what we've seen recently, this, this 
well, no. shift where it's like it's beyond uh, your it's beyond your job. Like I, it's not just work. There's more to this work. You know, I have to be I have to be you know, a social justice warrior. I find that to be inconsistent with running a business. It's completely inconsistent. I don't run a business, but it's completely inconsistent with uh, logic and common sense. And I've got a couple of other, other examples here for you. It would be like asking, and I don't know a lot of NHL or NFL. Again, I'm looking at this, the article for the NHL. I don't know if a lot of NFL coaches, but I know like Andy Reed, it'd be like asking Andy Reed. So, uh, you know, Andy, uh, people like you, do you, do you get along with other fathead coaches? Do you, do you, are you friends right. with some of the other fat guys in the league? It's just so unbelievably <laughs> insulting and discriminatory. Uh, th- then you've got the the NHL. Now back to the NHL. You got the NHL now. They've done some internal demographic study. And, and take a listen to this clip. This is uh, Kim Davis, NHL EVP of Social Impact Growth and Legislative Affairs, and she says we, we need. We need more diversity in the NHL. Take a listen to this. Um, it says that we are where we expected to be, but now we have the facts to back it up. Um, I think the one area that we are um, are feeling positive about is that 38% of our workforce are women. Um, we've done a lot of work to... And I'd say that's probably proportionate to the general public in terms of, of females who like hockey. It's, it's probably slightly proportionate to that. Improve in that area. Uh, and it's very consistent with our current female fan base of 40%. And well, there you go. She just said it. So that's a great benchmark. So why would you continue to improve that then? If, if the number of females you have hired because they like hockey and they're good at their jobs is, is also statistically equal to the number of women statistically who like hockey, what's the issue then, Charlie? It's virtue signaling. It's it because, you know, what the NHL should really be focusing on doesn't matter who's nobody sees who's working behind this. You know, the fans don't care. The viewers don't don't know that they don't see that they don't care who's the assistant media director for the for the, you know, Los Angeles Kings. What they care about is how the team is doing and what the NHL should be caring about is how many people are in the stands. What, what's the viewership numbers? You want to increase that? That's fine, but but if you're focusing on on changing, you know, there's there's only there's there's very few jobs working for a team, and um, may the best person win, right? So when you're committed to, well, we're going to flip these people, we're going to flip the you know the number of people in this office from you know too many men to having women in there. Well, again, what's what's the plan? What's the, why? Is it because women bring something to the table that men don't with regard to hockey? If so, great. Have them come on in. But if you're doing it just so that you can go virtue signal about how you've got uh, equal representation, look, equal rep- nothing is equal in professional sports. Skill level changes um, that, you know, you're, you're, it's an easily measurable industry where you're, you're, you're judged on wins and losses. Also, maybe if you're in the business side of it, you're judged on profits. Uh, at the end of, of the season, nobody is going to say, well, you know, our profits were great and we won the Stanley Cup, but gosh, if only we had more women working right, in here, right. then it would really be a victory for us. No, no, no. Nobody gives a damn about that stuff. And, and it's, it's very hollow and it seems super fair. Now, I get, again, I, I want to 
clear. Don't, I'm not saying, you know, discriminate against women. I'm just saying hire the best person for the job. Keep, if keep, it happens, keep doing what you, yeah, yeah. Keep doing what you've been doing because apparently the number of hires are statistically equal to the population that's interested in hockey. So it seems like they've been doing the right thing. This is going in the wrong direction for all these leagues. The NFL, I mean, NBA is probably the worst, uh, but the NFL, the NHL is finally doing this. They've got a whole diversity page uh, that's up on the NHL.com website. I was just discussing with some friends of mine who enjoy hockey. And I mean, the, the NHL really can't afford to lose uh, much of an audience like the NFL or other leagues can. They already have such a small audience in comparison with these other leagues, as far as I understand it. I feel like this is going to really alienate a lot of the the NHL audience if they keep pushing this. It's it, there's there's no appetite for it. This is not what the teams or what the fans are asking for. The fans are asking for a better, better team, better players. Give me a reason to che- give me a reason Wins. to go to the give game. Me, give me the Stanley Cup, not the Stacy Cup. It's the Stanley Cup. We're not going to change the name <laughs> of the cup and you know all all that. Like I, I'm I'm an equal. I have equal rights. I'm an equal person. I'm a human being, just like any of these NHL players. But I can't do what Nikita Kucherov does. It's just a plain, simple fact of nature. I can't do what Steven Stamkos does or Victor Hedman or uh, uh, anybody else in the NHL. Doesn't mean that I'm unequal. It doesn't mean I, I'm not a person because I can't do what Vasilevsky does for the Lightning. I'm just naming Lightning players here because I know them. But, you know, I can't do what they do. That doesn't mean that I'm not a human. I don't know why people feel that everything has to be so equal that everybody is exactly the same. That takes life away from life. It's totally absurd. I get it that you want to have equal opportunities, but I think it's unrealistic to expect equal outcomes. No, it is. Well, yeah. no, no, you're hundred percent right. So that, that's actually a great point because when you look at the NFL, the NFL is 58% black. When you look at the national basketball association, I'm going to look it up right now. NBA percentage. That is, well, that actually is one of the first searches that come up. The, uh, the NBA is 73% black. Okay. The NHL has only a handful of black players. Now is the NHL racist or is it just that black folks because of culture tend to play football and basketball and not hockey? It's because of culture and environment. Black people typically don't play hockey, but some do. And if they're good enough, they make it to the NHL like we've seen with a handful of black hockey players. That's as simple as it is. White people, yeah. white people tend not to play basketball in terms of professional uh, basketball as much as black folks do. It's not discriminatory. It's just a fact. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, like, and if we want to dig even deeper that with hockey, it's geographical. Too. We're talking about cold play. We're talking about part of the United States, a lot of Canada, Scandinavian countries, Russia, some parts of Northern Europe. What do those people look like that live there? They're typically white. So it makes sense that there would be a disproportionate number of white people in hockey as opposed to black people, simply based on geography and culture of the countries that are very much into, uh, into hockey. Now, that's not to say that you couldn't find some South Korean hockey player who comes out of nowhere and is the next Sidney Crosby. I hope I, maybe, maybe there will be, but you know, but, but if the NHL decided, you know, well, look in the interest of social justice, we're going to make it so that we, each team has to have 20% non-white players on their team. That's a law moving forward rules. Yeah, you know, yeah. you'll get fined. Then the, the coaches and general managers would be like, why? 
what are we doing? So your first so, your, your first line is black, your second line is Hispanic, your third line is Asian, and your fourth line is white. Is that <laughs> that's how we do it? And congratulations for finishing in last place this year. You know, if you're basing a team on things other than uh, skill outcome, you know, results oriented things, if you're if you're starting to allow other components of this to be more important than the product that you're putting out there, um, then, then you're, you will, you will suffer the consequences. The marketplace will let you know whether or not this is working or not. So, um, you can, you can get woke and go broke if you, if you need to, if you're the NHL, but why not just take a look at what, how bad that went for the NFL and for the NBA and how people just completely lost interest in this woke stuff and started tuning out once, uh, you know, the NBA did the, in the bubble, put the black mm-hmm. lives matter, uh, signage across the side of the, of the, of the court. And people went, you know what? I'm not into this. This, yeah, you know, keep your politics out of my sports. I came to sports because I don't want politics. If I want that, I'll go, I'll go turn on C-SPAN or CNBC or C- CNN or whatever. I came to ESPN because I want to watch this game and I don't want to be lectured about, uh, my toxic whiteness, you know? And I think a lot of people are, are feeling that there should be some sort of uh, delineation between the cultural components of this and sports, like keep sports, you know, keep sports out of that and uh, keep the, keep the social justice warriors out of this. This is a, an area that people look, look to as a, as a, respite from the, yeah. the insanity an island in a sea of uh, of craziness out there they want that break and when the leagues start to in, in you know force that on people i think that you know people have a lot of options out there a lot of choices they'll say well you know what i'm not i'm not watching this anymore i think i'm gonna go do something else i just read an article from the athletic today and it's about that clip we just played it's about the the survey or the, the study the report from the nhl and not only did they break it down by male and female, black and white, they also broke it down by homosexuality. They said 93.14% of the NHL workforce is heterosexual or straight. So we need to do something to make sure we hire more homosexuals to, 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 to get into the, the, the NHL to, to work and, and maybe even to play. We need more homosexuals on the ice. It just it sounds, you know what it sounds like? It just sounds like a, a, an SNL sketch or something. <laughs> Except this is actually funny. Um, yeah, the, the 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 idea that you're going to listen. I bet if we took a look at, um, I don't know, what's a good what's a good example of something um, that's uh, like another sport or the WNBA. Are we mm. going to do an, a survey on on what percentage of the WNBA is homosexual? Are we going to do that? We could do that. I bet you it's a huge percentage, you know, so, but, but you can't do that. You can't talk about that. That's off limits. That would, that would make you a well, homophobe. And it's a, about that. And it's a hundred percent, it's a hundred percent women though. So where are the men? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, we sh- I, I'm going to identify as a woman and go out there and play basketball. Yeah. And Charlie, you know, 80, I just looked this up. 83% of the WNBA are people of color uh, it's 67 percent black or african-american but 80 83 percent are people of color so that's 17 percent are not people of color the wnba is totally women and almost exclusively people of color no men no white people super racist right i mean if we were using the same metric <laughs> 
again, I say equal equal opportunities, but not equal results. I should have the right to go try out for the Lakers, but under no circumstances <laughs> should I be mandated a spot on that team if I am not capable of holding my own and making that team on you know on my own merit. So uh, the the idea that this is going to infect sports leagues, I think, is disgusting. The people people are are, are rejecting this. They're they're not interested in having having this forced upon them. And I'm all, look, I'm all for, uh, you know, equality. If you're the right person for the job, it would be awful if somebody was, you know, some racist general manager was like, well, I was going to hire you, but you know, you're a black guy. No, that would be terrible. I'm not, I'm not saying that it'd be illegal. Yeah. And it, and it would be wrong and it would be weird and all those things. But, but, but the, the reverse of it, the trying to like, force this to happen, uh, inorganically. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a sustainable business model. I don't think it's right socially. I don't think, uh, you know, look, let the best people, I mean, shouldn't we be doing, making these hiring decisions based on merit? And that's right. Merit. And that's, that's what truly makes it equal. If you, if you want really quality, yeah. then the people that are best for the job should get hired and nothing is perfect. People make mistakes or they, Maybe they hire a woman because she's prettier than another woman or, you know, sometimes there is there's still discrimination. But, you know, there there are laws that prevent that. I mean, the the the, the U.S. Constitution, the, the, the well, essentially the 13th, 14th, the 15th Reconstruction Amendments, but the 14th Amendment, uh, th- this prevents this type of discrimination. But it doesn't mean that people aren't going to continue to discriminate. I, I mean, the, the example is the best example is those uh, people that asked uh, the Tampa Bay coach. Uh, does he get along with the black coaches? You know, the people that look like you. Uh, you you all look alike. Do you get along with the other people that look like you? They act like they're doing a service to the community and they're trying to represent a group of people. But really what they're saying is you all look the same. So you must get along and hang out. Right. Which we've always agreed. If you say all black people look the same, that's very that's very racist. Um, and right. the, another example, this is a political example in the state of Florida. It, as far as I understand, it, it's a felony. If you uh, are caught uh, in some kind of voter fraud. So I don't know if you've seen these videos circulating, but police, black and white, man and woman, police officers are going and arresting people who have been uh, who have been either um, accused of and they have to go to trial uh, or they've they have arrest warrants out because they've they've voted on more than one occasion. They've done it. You know, they've been a felon or they've tried to vote more than once and it's illegal. It's a felony. So people are sharing the police cam videos of uh, uh, there was a, a black gentleman who was arrested and a, and a white uh, was a black lady who was arrested. Uh, and I'm sure there's plenty of white people arrested, too. But these two black folks that were arrested um, for voter fraud and the way that the left leaning media is spinning it is they're saying this is what a fascist Hitler type character does. Ron DeSantis is rounding up the black people to prevent them from voting for the Democrats but if you think about that for a second, this is what I see all over Twitter. That in and of itself is so abhorrently discriminatory and racist. You assume that because of the color of that person's skin who broke the law, who should go to jail, you assume that because of the color of that person's skin, their vote belongs to your party. That is the foundation of the Democratic Party from 1828. And I guess people just don't see that. They don't see it. They don't want to see it. They're tucked away in their ideological bubbles and listening to MSNBC, who's telling them 
who to get angry at, why they're supposed to be mad, who's being discriminated against. They never get the full full picture. That you know, the media is so dangerous in that, as you know. Um, the, the the way they can frame these things, they can take a, a situation completely out of context, only show one part of it. Say, see, look, Ron DeSantis is rounding up black people and not allowing them to vote. <laughs> now, if ridiculous. Ron DeSantis were rounding up black people and not allowing them to vote, that would rightly be a huge problem. And he would have uh, a lot to answer for. But if you don't give the context of the clip, if you don't mention that well, these people were doing something illegal. Oh, and by the way, they weren't the only ones that got arrested. And by the way, the other people that got arrested were white. We didn't mention that. Well, then, but that doesn't play well with their base. That doesn't work with their narrative. They have a, a specific narrative. Anything that falls outside of it, then, eh, well, we just won't talk about that. This is on the producers. This is on the, the you know, the, the people at the top of these media companies that, are, that, that have a, a vested interest in keeping people divided very angry with one another, very suspicious of one another. Keep us, keep us all fighting, fighting a race war so that we don't fight a class war, you know, making, making us focus on each other so that we don't get together and look up to see who's really controlling us. You know, I think if we took care of the real problem, the predator class that's running this, this country, if we were able to sort them out and get them out of the way, and I think that the, the, the disagreements that we have, the right team and the, and the, the red team, blue team, all that, I think a lot of those issues would go away if we were to take care of the real problem, the people that are pitting one of you know, us against each other and trying to make this into some sort of race war. Um, I think that those people that, that have a vested interest in keeping the, the, the masses controlled, look, the best way to do that is to divide us up, get us fighting with one another so that we're too exhausted or too confused or are you know too angry to to look and examine who the real culprits are, which is this this um, you know the 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 people with all the real power, the people up at up at the top that are making these things happen. So let's get honest about who who the problem is here. It's not your it's not the it's not your neighbor. Your neighbor you you we're all in the same boat here. It's the people in Washington D.C. and the people running these media organizations. They're the ones you need to worry about. If you focus on them. You take care of that problem. I think a lot of our other problems will just vanish. And, and the classical, uh, well, let's call them the classical left. I mean, conservatives are really the classical liberals. Modern liberals have just been, uh, that political party has been hijacked. But they used to be the ones against the suppression of speech and against uh, forced medical care and against, uh, you know, big corporations, big banks. Now they work for them ideologically. And it's, it's very confusing and disturbing. You have to follow the, the historical trend. But when you, when you think of everything we've discussed tonight, uh, you know, it's something it's like with like Kanye West, Kanye West had his bank account seized. The, yep. the, 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 he can't bank now with what was it, JP Chase or JP Morgan mm-hmm. Chase. Uh, why? Because he said that Hollywood is essentially run in the black community. The counterculture, which is what Thomas Sowell wrote for decades, is controlled by a group of people, just like the slave trade was literally controlled by a group of banks, bankers and a group of people that also happen to own the NFL and most other major sporting leagues. It's owned by a group of people that use the Jewish identity who are not actually Jewish, most of them, to advance their political and their ideological agenda. I mean, Israel was established by the Nazi party of Germany in the Havara Agreement. So Kanye West says that, and suddenly, oh no, he can't have a bank account, which kind of also proves his point. Uh, People like Charlie Sheen, Gary Oldman, Roseanne, anybody in Hollywood, they make those comments and they're gone. 
which also kind of proves the point of their comments. But this is this is the idea. We're not allowed to have conversations and we're not allowed to have open debates and we're not allowed to have a discussion. We just do whatever the telescreen tells us to do, just like in 1984. We do the jumping jacks. We do them literally and figuratively. We do the mental gymnastics. I mean, if we continue down this route, you know, the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, the WNBA, they're going to become a real life version of Dave Chappelle's. Uh, what was it called? The 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 racial. Um, what was the that? Racial draft. The racial draft. It's literally going to be a racial draft. All right. Uh, up next, the Chicago Blackhawks, which they won't be called the Blackhawks anymore. Oh, you know, they're 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 uh, uh, they're going to draft their first black player now. And then they're going to draft their first Asian player. And then oh, up next, the uh, the New York Jets are going to draft. That's where we're going to be. And that is just an un- that's like a slave auction block. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find it ironic that uh, J.P. Morgan Chase closed Kanye's bank account. It didn't close Jeffrey Epstein's. Why is that? Yeah, they didn't close Epstein's account, did they? No. Funny how that works. Nobody closed Wein- Weinstein's bank account. Nobody closed... Uh, um, Keith Raniere's bank account. Nobody closed uh, any of Epstein's associate bank accounts. Yeah, funny how that works, huh? Well, anyway, Charlie Robinson, our guest this evening, Macro Aggressions, that's the name of the show that Charlie does. You've been doing this for, what, two, three years, three years, three and a half years now? It's been a while. Yeah, yeah, we're we're, we're about two and a half years in, episode 275. It's been a real... It's been a real treat for me. I, I've been able to um, really talk about some things that I, I find to be important. I'm learning a lot. I'm connecting with amazing people. I've been really surprised how, how fast the show has grown. Uh, I appreciate it. I'm humbled by it. I love that people are interested in it. I get emails all the time. I'm trying to figure it out too, everybody. You know, I don't have all the answers. I wouldn't pretend to, but I feel like we're we're going on this journey together. We're going to try and figure out what what what's actually happening. What, uh, how do we fix the things that we're we're currently up against? What's real? What's not real? And um and prioritize our our time and energy and and make sure that we're focusing on the right things and and not getting dragged down into the minutia of this and fighting with each other. I want to try and keep it as positive as I can. I I bring a a sense of humor to it. I have to laugh to keep from crying with some of this stuff. And I think that people appreciate that because they, you know, they know that they understand that I'm not making light of these issues. I'm just saying that, uh, sometimes we have to, uh, you know, sometimes we, we, sometimes we're allowed to laugh at how crazy it all has gotten. Well, Charlie, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate our friendship and the way that you can be objective about things, uh, Maybe it's because that's that's the way I try to look at things, so I, I identify with you. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. Love to have you back again. Macroaggressions. Where can listeners find uh, the books and your website and the show? Is it just Apple or is it everywhere? It's everywhere in audio format. Wherever you get your podcast, you can find Macroaggressions there. It's free. Subscribe to it and check it out. Give me a couple episodes. I promise you, if you don't like it, you just delete it off your phone. Um, in video format, it goes out on Rockfin. Odyssey, band.video, and now vigilante.tv. The website is theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com. You can follow me on Twitter where I argue with robots, uh, <laughs> at macroaggression. <laughs> I try not to, but, you know, sometimes I get drawn into these fights. And, um, and uh, yeah, the books are available in digital format on my website. You can find them in paperback on, on Amazon as well. And I appreciate the support, everyone that, that – uh, my books and 
helps me that way. It keeps me going, keeps me energized, and I really do appreciate it. And I appreciate you, Ryan, and thank you again for having me on. I always have to look forward to our chat. You're very welcome. Charlie Robinson, Macroaggressions, there you have it. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. You can find my books, Food Philosophy, Occult Arcana, The Technological Elixir, and my new book, Liberty Shrugged, all available on the website at thesecretteachings.info. You can buy it from Amazon, but we get more uh, profit if you buy it directly from the website. Also, if you don't like the uh, PayPal service anymore, that's the only one we use. I did sign up for, what's it called, Cash App. So you can use the RD Gable, but put a little money sign before it. So the money sign, dollar sign, RD Gable, you can Cash App us. RDGable at yahoo.com is the email. If you've done that, let me know whether you're buying a book or you're subscribing. I like to do things really simple. But again, if you have any questions, that's the email. The website, thesecretteachings.info, TST underscore underscore radio on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash the secret teachings. Tomorrow night, we should have Karen Dahlman on the show to talk about the Ouija board as this week progresses to the three day festival of Halloween, All Hallows Eve, Mischief Night. The Days of the Dead, the Soul Day, and the Saint Day coming up uh, beginning of next week. There'll be more coming up tomorrow night. And as I said, Monday through Friday, 10 p.m. to midnight Pacific, Ground Zero dot radio. Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy. Don't be afraid, be informed. And we will talk to you on the next broadcast. The music, White Bat Audio. Thanks, Ryan. This is David Knight with the DavidKnightShow.com, and you're listening to The Secret Teaching.